Thank you so much for joining us for another edition of Bonsai Wire Podcast. Today on the episode, we're going to try something new. We asked for questions on a few different formats um, about deciduous trees. And so today I've got Michael Hagedorn and Andrew Robson on with me, and we're going to talk about some of the questions that were submitted about deciduous trees. Welcome, guys. Hey. Hey, how's it going? Great. Okay, so uh, the we're going to jump right in here. Uh, the first questions we have are, we've got a, a number of questions about Japanese maples. Uh, the first question comes from Christopher. Uh, Christopher says, how do you transition from primary branches to secondary and tertiary ramifications in Japanese maples? I've yeah. got three or four maples that, that have good trunks, primary branches already, but, it's, but it seems that beyond that, even if I pinch super early in the spring, the new shoots get longer than I want. It feels like the tree has too much strength and too few branches to generate a desirable piece of growth at this point. It seems like to me, some of the most challenging parts of deciduous bonsai is when you have a trunk, when you have the primary branches, where do you go next? Because it's relatively clear, I think, how you build a trunk. It's relatively clear how you maintain an old refined bonsai. But getting it from you know, the bones, the bare bones, to, to having a lot of ramification, that can be really challenging. Um, and I think one of the things is, is it's, it's, you know, young trees were fertilizing a lot, old refined trees were fertilizing a lot, but these kind of middle, uh, of the pack trees, uh, it, it it can be a little challenging with the fertilizing, uh, using less fertilizer than you think you need to, to get small leaves, to get small inner nodes, uh, and building off of that ramification. And once you start to get somewhere, then you can start to up the fertilizer a little bit. Yeah. It can definitely be frustrating in the beginning when you're trying to, and you're sort of expecting all of a sudden, okay, this is the year we're going to build ramification. And the tree says, no, we're not. We're just going to grow long, long branches as usual. Yeah. And, it, and it can take a few years for, um, you know, the, the, the tree and the caretaker to kind of agree with one another. And, and, and a lot of this seems to be um, uh, that we, we tend to, um, we tend to prune more, uh, I think, than we should. In other words, what I'm trying to say is that um, it's, it's a benefit to leave more than you actually want, ultimately. Mm. And then what you do leave ends up slowing down everything else, which ends up shortening your inner notes, which for many plants, that, that's a benefit. Uh, that even, I mean, black pine decandling is the same thing. You leave multiple shoots and then in the fall, you, you do your, your selection. Uh, but, but especially for something like a Japanese maple, which, which has a tendency to create a really, really long inner node. Um, uh, so it can help if you, by leaving multiples that later you, you cut off what you don't want. That can help quite a bit. Yeah. So what you mean by that, Michael, is where you have maybe, you know, three branches coming out of one location, maybe leaving that, whereas our instinct might be to, to, right. to take that down to two. Right. The rule book says, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two. And it's not like the rule book is wrong, but the timing of when you do that uh, can help you if you leave the three for a short time. If you leave it for too long, you know, you know, if you have five branches coming off of one place with a maple, many people have that experience, especially with trident maples and things like that. You end up with, uh, with big knots. Yeah. <laughs> so you yeah. can't wait too long. <laughs> so, so leaving multiplicity to slow the plant down, right. as long as that multiplicity is not causing right. too much of a problem. Right, right. And then there's a second part to that. Christopher, I think, wrote that he uh, had to keep his trees in a greenhouse, uh, lives in a cold area. And that is also going to lengthen an inner node um, mm. just by itself. So that might be a little bit uh, tricky to, to, to manage. 
on top of the usual issues that 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 you have. So you got a double whammy there, Christopher. <laughs> right. um, yeah. Yeah, that brings up one more point. I think um, when the the trees are growing in the spring, uh, right when the buds are first breaking, if they're in full sun, that can help you know tighten the inner nodes yes. and, and and get the leaves small. Right. Uh, if, right. If your if your trees are leafing out and they're they're in the shade, then you tend to get really big leaves and really big inner nodes. Right. Right. Um, that's right. And 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 that's where micro positioning um, uh, is something that that I tend to hammer away at, forgive me, <laughs> there's a chapter in Bonsai Heresy about that as well. But, uh, but seasonal micro placement is really important. So many plants that later in the year you might want to protect in the shade, don't start in the shade in, in the spring, put them in the full sun to Andrew's point, And then later you do your, your protecting. Got it. And he's got a second part of the question that refers to um, using sacrifice branches to develop the trunk. All right. uh, on a Japanese yeah. maple. So should I, should I, or not, should you or should you not use sacrifice branches to develop trunk? If so, how big should you let the sacrifice branches before you cut them? If not, then what should you do to proceed to get the trunk girth? I think is what the question is about. Generally, if the larger the trunk you want in the end game, the more sacrificial branches you need. So if you want a really big, fat, meaty trunk, then that's going to require a lot of sacrifice branches to get you there. If you want something that's very elegant, very subtle taper, right. as a Japanese maple might naturally grow in a garden, then then you're going to use fewer of them. And and you're going to what when you do use them, you're going to they're going to be smaller. And do yeah. those sacrifice branches, uh, do those get removed fully or do you, do you try to grow the, do you grow the end of the branch that you want as a sacrifice? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Either. Yeah, you could do, could do either. You could uh, grow off the top of the tree. If you're going to, generally speaking, if you're going to do a, a, a sacrifice, you grow off the top of the tree and when you cut it back, you're cutting back to a new leader. So that's uh, the the chunky kind of tree that Andrew was describing. And then if you if you want to um, uh, thicken a lower branch, you can use that branch as a sacrifice. That then you cut back to a secondary branch on that branch, and then you create a branch taper. So you could do that. You could, but it's generally only with kind of chunky trees. And the more natural trees that Andrew is talking about, there's really no sacrifice that you use at all. Got it. Got it. Okay, great. I think that answers it. Let's move on. Uh, we've got a couple of questions from Derek. Uh, Derek wants to know about how you feel about replacing all of the foliage on an Acer palmatum with a different cultivar. Cultivar, uh, For example, thread grafting a DeSojo primary branches onto the trunk of a standard uh, maple, and then you would eventually have both, but there's potential differences in texture of bark and such. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, the Sojo is is a gorgeous tree. It's really bright red. One thing about the Sojo though is that it has uh, a very beautiful and quickly um, uh, developing white bark, and mm-hmm. that might be different than your 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 normal green seedling. So you might have a bark difference, um, but. Um, it's a really interesting question. I've never actually tried that. Um, most of, of your maples, I mean, DeSocio is not like a dwarf or anything like that. So um, you're probably not going to get much caliper difference. I don't think that would be a problem. 
but it's a really interesting, interesting question. I mean, this is one of the reasons that many people um, uh, kind of in the deep end of the pond uh, regarding uh, really uh, fine tuned characteristics won't graft roots using just any Japanese maple seedling. They'll actually take a cutting off that tree, mm-hmm. root it, and then, and then create a better Nabari so that the bark is the same all over the tree. I think most of the time it's going to be much easier, like Michael said, just to you know take an air layer or something off of Desojo and, and, and grow that tree out as, as it is. And that's not to say you couldn't. You definitely could grow a green leaf Japanese maple and start graft um, different branches from a, a cultivar onto that. Uh, and it would it would work, and and I think the idea of doing a thread graft rather than an approach graft is a, is a is a, a good idea. However, I I think it's probably just unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. If you want a, a wild fun project, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I agree yeah. with Andrew. Yeah, I think you can get there just as well using other techniques. Okay, so what about um? The, he's got a kind of a second part of the question here, and I think rather than talk specifically about the, uh, the DeSojo uh, Acer palmatum is just, he, he asked a question about managing callusing or swelling at these junctions. And so just in general, um, when you're grafting deciduous, how do you deal with either same species uh, grafting or different species grafting? How do you deal with some of the callusing or swelling at these graft joints? Yeah, it's a good question. I think the type of graft is, is the most important point in that. In that, if you're doing, <clears throat> excuse me, something like a thread graft, uh, a thread graft will give you something that's almost invisible. You might not ever know that it was ever grafted there. If you're doing an approach graft, that's where it can be really challenging, uh, especially on a deciduous plant where the leaves are going to drop off in the, the fall and you're going to see the bare bones of the tree. You'll s- be able to see really clearly which branches were done with an approach graft um, or not. And so I think the type of graft is really important for that. Using thread grafts is generally the, the best approach for deciduous. Um, however, I will say that in deciduous bonsai, we tend not to do as much grafting compared to coniferous bonsai, where that's, that's more of a standard practice. Yeah, I really am excited about grafting. and something I really enjoyed uh, doing here. Uh, one thing that I see fruit people grafting a lot is a chip graft or a bud graft. Have you all ever heard of anyone in bonsai doing bud grafts or chip grafts? Uh, yeah, yeah, mostly uh, for, uh, you know, where you're putting something on a rootstock and uh, uh, that's, uh, that's possible. Um, yeah, the, and the bud graft, graft isn't really used much uh, unless you're, I think actually a lot of the ume are, are done that way, but most deciduous trees are not, I don't think. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Have fun. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, Derek has one other question uh, regarding Ebihara, uh, just talking about the peg mm-hmm. grafts. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And he's he's heard rumors that they're that they don't do very well in the long term. Trying, he's trying to get some more information about it. Wondering if uh, yeah, y'all have I any heard, information. I about heard that that rumor, and I haven't heard any follow up about the rumor. But I also heard that they were not doing quite so well. Uh, but um, I have no follow up. Uh, Andrew, do you? Yeah, I, I don't have any follow up either, but. I will say with Ebihara, he's he's kind of a fringe artist in the deciduous uh, bonsai world. He's definitely a master of technique. He's done things that are um, kind of that nobody else has done before. You know, taking a midsection out of the tree and grafting, you know, the top back to the bottom, um, taking branches off one tree, putting them on another tree. 
Uh, he does these really crazy things, but most of the deciduous bonsai in Japan are, are, are created without doing a lot of these really crazy technical things. And so I think he's a really good case of, of technical mastery just because um, you can do all of these technical crazy things doesn't necessarily mean that you should. But where you can use them in very specific targeted instances, I think they're, they're really powerful techniques. Yeah, yeah. Also, um, also it's sort of like um, version one, you know, um, and, uh, and, and there's going to be a lot of problems in, in uh, you know, the, the 101 version. And I encourage everybody who's, who's curious about these techniques to, to give them a whirl because uh, um, there's probably some things that need to be figured out. Um, yeah. And you can learn a lot by doing them, right? You can. Yeah, absolutely. You know. Yeah. Yeah. You might try some normal grafting techniques before you go, go as far as Ebihara. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, Derek <laughs> mentions uh, in the question that, uh, that they've got several projects on underway. Um, so maybe Derek, yeah, let us exciting. know how they work out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah please do. Um, okay. Moving on uh, to a different maple. We got uh, Jerry from looks like the Houston area is interested in working with red maple. And a couple of, he's got a couple in the yard that are really nice. Any advice on training the red maple? Um, if that yeah, is, Michael, uh, you have a, you have yeah. a red maple in the garden, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. That was a, a tree that, um, I did not start and I I'm honored to take care of it. Um, and I did learn a few things from the previous owner. It started from a tiny little three-year-old seedling that that's Acer rubrum. So this is our red maple, a native tree. Um, that micro in the, the Houston area. I'm afraid I, I don't know that. Um, but it, if, if it is rubrum, uh, it's a beautiful tree, a wonderful color in the fall if you get cold enough. Uh, and it will create really, really long internodes for like 20 years. <laughs> um, and then all of a sudden it shifts and it becomes mature and you start getting like these uh, half inch uh, internodes. Um, so it can be a little bit of a fight, uh, but be patient. Um, it is a beautiful tree, and I think it's definitely worth it. One of the, the, the best features of that tree is a wonderfully silver bark. It's gorgeous. Yeah, it's, really, it's gorgeous. Really, really nice. Yeah, and the, the only other thing I would add is that I think with our native deciduous materials, it's it's more of a question of finding the right genetics. So there's probably a, an Acer rubrum out there that has the genetics that are perfect for bonsai, has nice bark, has nice fall color, has small right. leaves with short inner notes. But we haven't been experimenting with it for 100 years or 200 years or 400 right. years like they have been in Japan right. with the Japanese maples. Right. And so it's, uh, there's probably that beautiful, perfect genetic out there that just needs to be found. And right. it will take a lot of work to do it, but it's, it's out there somewhere, I'm sure. Yeah, so that brings uh, brings us to an, the second part of his question, which is, um, sh do you think that the Jerry should try propagating trees from trees in his yard, or go with some kind of nursery stock, um, getting getting materials from somewhere else? Where where would you go if you're trying to look for the good genetic? I would think I would think doing some sort of canvassing during the growing season, so that he can see the leaf size, mm -hmm. um, and, and even um, you know possibly internode. Uh, maybe you can find some characteristics that are that are distinct and unusual. Um, yeah, so maybe yeah. invite himself over to other neighbors' yards and walk down the street Definitely. and see what yeah. see what's growing in the area. <laughs> yeah, and it's important to note that leaf size is both genetic and environmental. Right. So you could have the same exact genetic a clone. You could put one in in the shade in the spring, like we talked about earlier. You could put one in the sun in the spring, and they're going to have two different size leaves. Or you have one in 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 
a, a soil that holds onto a lot of water, you give it a lot of fertilizer, that's going to have large leaves. You get it in a, a drier soil, um, you fertilize it less, that's going to have small leaves. So, so even within a genetic, you, you can see environmental differences. So, so yeah, it, it's a little hard to, it's a little hard to find these things because, you know, at one nursery, it could be the same genetic as another nursery, but the environments are totally different. Mm. Right. And, and there's occasionally the frustration level there because you find something you're super excited about and you bring it home and then you give it probably better care than it was <laughs> wherever yeah, it was. It and then suddenly it reflushes <laughs> and it looks like everything else. <laughs> so right. All the uniqueness is gone. Um, and just uh, finishing up with that one, is there a tree that we train in bonsai um, that uses techniques that would be useful to learn how to, how to train the red maple? Yeah, I, th I think it's, Michael, tell me if you think this as well, but I, th I think it's really similar to amur maple, where it's, it's a tree you can defoliate probably in, in, in the early years and then start to taper off once it gets more mature. Yeah, yeah, and not defoliate later uh, as it ages. Yeah, I think that's, that, that's probably, probably accurate. Okay, got a question come in from Jerry. Um, this, I mean, Jeffrey, sorry. <laughs> Seeing as it's Andrew's dad, I should probably get his name. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, the, the Bonsai Society of Greater St. Louis has a question about lime sulfuring, applying to trunks of deciduous to lighten the bark. Oh, yes. Um, it could be, uh, we believe it's a technique that can be applied to several trees, Okovas, beech, maples. Uh, could you please describe the technique when the season is right and your ratio of sulfur to water? Yeah, yeah. I, you, I think a lot of us are probably really familiar with looking at, um, you know, old Kokofu books or something like that. And, and lime sulfur was used at, at, at really strong rates uh, many years ago. And yeah, it's almost like looking at these ghost trees, you know, they're, they're yeah, white, white as a sheet. <laughs> yeah, right. You can't even see the bud difference. Yeah, it's some, like that tree in Lord know, of the Rings. Yeah, that, that, yeah right. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so lime sulfur is a, a dormant spray. So you, you only want to use it when there's no leaf on the tree. Um, and the dilution rate that's usually used is really the same as the rate that's used for the dormant spray, which is a pest disease control. It's eight tablespoons to the gallon. So I think that's a half a cup of yeah, lime I think sulfur. It's, it's strong. Yeah, one part um, lime sulfur to 32 parts water. Yeah. Yeah, so it's right. it's a very very mild. Um, I've experimented with going one part lime sulfur to twenty parts water, and that gives you just a little bit more of a visual, um, an aesthetic yeah. difference. But it's 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 yeah. something that is is both aesthetic and horticultural, mm -hmm. right, Michael? It's it's yeah yeah that's right. Um, and and if you do it year after year after year, you will get the ghost tree because yeah. <laughs> this stuff is it, it hangs on there. It's uh, the the calcium really really sticks. Um, bear in mind that this is really messy stuff. If you have pots you really care about, definitely put some some towels down, some plastic, something around your pot. You don't really want to get it into the soil either. Let it dry before you. Um, before you water, for sure. Uh, it'll come right off <laughs> if you yeah. don't. And actually how you apply it is another thing. Um, it's usually sprayed on, so you have it in some kind of a pressure sprayer and, uh, and, then, and then you spray it on. Make sure you don't make a, a cover the whole thing, otherwise you get kind of a stipple effect. <laughs> yeah. Got it, so you would recommend spraying over brushing? Yes, definitely. 
Yeah. yeah the yeah. the only thing you might brush is the the nabari at the bottom. If, if you're going to spray and you don't want it dripping oh, into the roots, yeah. you you yeah. put plastic over it. So so you take the plastic off and you you paint. You know, the the part that didn't get get yeah, sprayed. Yeah. Good good point. And use and, kind of a dry brush too mm-hmm. for that part. Yeah. And there's some species that this is probably really good for, and some that we might not want to do this for, right? So there's you know a, a stewardia with the beautiful exfoliating orange right. bark. You right. don't really want that to be white, but a, a beech which has this beautiful, nice silver bark, that right. it might be a little bit more appropriate. Japanese maple would be pretty good. Yeah, Japanese maple, if, magnolia if maybe. It. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have a couple of questions that came in about pruning. Uh, Carol wants to know um, about timing with fall pruning. Mm. So a couple of little sub questions. When, when is best to do it a few weeks before leaf fall, a few weeks after leaf fall, after dormancy, um, or does it really depend on goals and species? Yeah. Yeah. So just in general, uh, just before um, dormancy is, is the right uh, timing. So, um, you can still have some leaves on the tree and that gives the tree a little bit of time to react to the cut, um, and, uh, start setting up some buds for, for the spring. Um, other species, yeah, species considerations do exist. Uh, if you cut your famously, your, um, Japanese maple, we've been talking a lot about Japanese maple here this morning. Um, but if you cut them a little too late, like a, a, a few weeks after leaf fall, you might well get bleeding that goes on all winter long. So you want to cut those early. You want to put those on the top of your schedule. Um, the roses will bleed. There's, there's a few of them. Um, and so what gives you the indication that it's time to start cutting? What, what, what signals do the tree give you that it's going into dormancy and then yeah. it's time to start thinking about that? Well, the dormancy cascade will begin um, when you start seeing uh, color change in your leaves. Um, so that's, uh, you know, the tree is reading day length. It's also reading um, the temperature. Um, and that's sort of the beginning of it. But the tree is still pretty physiologically active. Um, mm-hmm. And so if you cut at that time, the tree is still responding to the cut. Uh, one of the, that's one of the benefits of cutting just slightly early before leaf drop. Uh, if you cut too late, the tree is dormant and can't really respond to that. Um, so some of the benefit is lost. Okay. Yeah, I, I like cutting when just a few of the leaves are starting to drop off the tree. Um, just when that starts. Generally, yeah, like what Michael said, I think if, if the leaves have turned color, then it's a safe time. If the leaves are still green before fall, then you risk having the plant try and regrow. And, and so I, I tend to wait wait for the leaves to turn color, and that's a really safe time to prune. Okay, Sam wrote in a couple of questions. Um, there, uh, one of his maple forest compositions is getting very tall and losing limbs. Uh, so what's the best time to remove some of that top and stimulate uh, growth down below, suckering? Uh, my, my favorite time is June. Um, if you cut then, you tend to get a lot of, uh, lot, lot of response lower on the tree. Um, also, uh, fall is pretty good. Um, just as a as a general thought, um, Gary Wood once gave me a a, a wonderful um, kind of guideline, which is that if you cut in the spring, you get extension, mm. um, and if you cut in the fall, you get buds. And I found that if you cut in June, you get a bit of a mix of both. Yeah. Um, so you can initiate new growth points uh, from your 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 June and your and your fall pruning. 
Yeah, I, I generally tell my students, if you're going to cut in the spring and the fall, scissors is a really great tool. If you're going to mm -hmm. cut in the summer, then you can also use the scissors, but, but introducing a concave pruner and a saw, right. um, those, those are more summer tools. Right, right, right. So, and, and just to uh, jump off of, of Andrew's comment, a, a, a scissors is kind of a dampening tool and a, and, a, and a concave pruner is an invigorating tool. So the more you cut off, the greater your response you're going to find. And then any other thoughts about the losing lower limbs? Um, part of this question where the maple forest is getting tall and lanky and, and losing some of that lower growth. Uh, yeah, you, uh, if you want the lower branches, uh, did you say this was in a forest? A uh, maple forest, that's right. It's a forest, yeah. Yeah, it could be, especially if the larger tree is on the inside of the forest, those lower branches are going to die off no matter what you do. Uh, yeah. And you tend to only have crown branches. Uh, but if you do want those low ones, if there's anything still alive down there, any of those branches, you want to cut back fairly hard on the top. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, partial defoliation in the summertime can also help. So, you know, taking every other leaf off of the pear can introduce light to the interior. Um, that might be a, a way to help with that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Uh, we've got a couple of final questions um, from Jer Jeremiah. Uh, if you had to pick three deciduous native trees to to container grow from seed cutting or air layering for the next 15 to 30 years, what would you select? Oh, good question. Mm -hmm. um, Jeremiah, I would probably choose the red maple that we were talking about earlier. I think red maple acerubrum is a beautiful, beautiful species. Um, my next yeah. one would probably be um, our, one of our native Ilexes, Ilex uh, verticulata. It's a Really beautiful deciduous holly, very similar to Ilex serrata in Japan, uh, but has a really nice leaf, has a really nice berry, which which introduces some some nice seasonality in the winter time. That's that's a little hard to get. Um, what do you think, Michael? That th those are two of mine. I got to think you, on the third. You got yeah, you you got my uh, my my two actually, and I had a, I had a third, but we're two to three here. Yeah, that's great. Uh, my uh, my thought uh, actually was this is a little bit. Uh, on a left field, but uh, redwood or bald cypress, because it's when when, oh when you collect them, it's almost a cutting. I mean, you, you yeah. don't really uh, collect um, uh, many roots. Sometimes with bald cypress, you do. But anyway, those are uh, uh, things to keep in mind. Yeah, I I, um, I thought of another one. American hornbeam is is really nice. The ironwood, um, maybe it, a it has, hair layer. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're, they're really beautiful. I'm not a huge fan of American oh, beech. I think the leaves are a little too large. Mm, uh, the plants mm -hmm. are a little too coarse compared to, to right. the Japanese beech and even the European beech. Um, right, right. It is called right. Fagus uh, grandifolia, big, big foliage um, <laughs> in Latin. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. But I think the hornbeam has a lot of potential, American hornbeam. It does. That's a gorgeous tree in the fall as well. Um, hop hornbeam is, is a little more delicate. Mm -hmm. Another interesting, it's kind of a shreddier bark. Um, there's some really wonderful hawthorns on the eastern uh, side of the country that we don't have on the west. We have only a few. And hawthorn is kind of a tricky, tricky plant. Some of them grow really well, others don't. Uh, the parsley hawthorn has got really gorgeous leaves that, that's down in the south, I think in the Memphis area and, and somewhere down in that area. But you might try air layers and things of that nature. Um, 
I mean, the question didn't, didn't, uh, wasn't talking about collecting, but right. air, air layering is a type of collecting, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you, if, you know, if you, if you know, uh, um, a farmer maybe who has got a cow pasture or something, getting, getting to know, uh, that, or even deer in, in, in meadows can, can trim these back and you might even try an air layer. They can be kind of hard to collect actually. They're very coarse running kind of root system. Uh, so an air layer might even be the, the best way to go about it. Anyway, yeah, that's the thought. Yeah. yeah. I think a, a good general rule is look at what works well for bonsai, uh, uh, genus wise. So if you know Styrax, uh, works well for bonsai, makes beautiful bonsai. Then maybe looking into the native Styrax that we have here um, on the East Coast um, would, would be a good idea. We have mm-hmm. a native Stewardia, actually a couple mm-hmm. that, that grow in the Appalachian mm-hmm. Mountains. So, so look for, for native plants that, that, we, that are, are species of genuses that we know work well for bonsai and, yeah. and maybe apply those. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I wonder about, you know, the areas around the great smokies, whether there are species in there um, that maybe haven't been tapped yet because it's, it's such a, a vast uh, genetic wonderland. Yeah. Um, many interesting plants of uh, uh, broadleaf evergreens in particular, some really unusual ones up in there. So. Yeah. I think it's going to take us a while to figure it out. Kind of like we were talking about oh, yeah. genetics earlier, you know, we still don't have a good, a cerebrum right. genetic um, and right. it might take us a couple generations right. to really get things. it. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of room for experimentation and, and, and playing with a lot of the native things that we have. Mm-hmm. And are there any uh, deciduous species, native deciduous species to the U S that you like can already know don't work? Like you mentioned a few, but are there any that you could just say right off the bat people should avoid or, or is it kind of a, do what you can and let us know. Hmm. That's interesting. Hmm. <laughs> um, wow. You know, I, I think there's, there's ones that I wouldn't put a lot of effort into, but mm-hmm. to say something won't work is, is really hard. Yeah, I mean, that, that it is. I'm struggling to say no to anything because you like, could always, you could always use something even with a big evergreen leaf, uh, you know, like a magnolia or something for, yeah. for some sort of a large kusumono or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that could work. I, I'd be curious to see if anybody has, has made, you know, like honey locust work. Um, and you have a big dangling foliage, uh, sort of raceme like thing, almost like, you know, wisteria. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm curious about sugar yeah. maple too, you know, even oh, though it yeah. has a, yeah, quite a large yeah. leaf, you know, yeah, yeah. it's a really strong tree. I wonder if we could defoliate it and you know, right. with right. ramification, bring that leaf size down. Right. Or, or the, the wisteria like plant in the Southeast, what is that a Meletia or um, yeah, it, yeah. It, it's not a wisteria. It's a, but anyway, it looks like one. Yeah, we have the big leaf maple uh, out here. That uh, might not work. So, <laughs> so right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, a lot of defoliation. Maybe it's really strong. Yeah. Yeah. I think in bonsai, you can make, you can make absolutely anything work, but the question is how much time do you want to invest in something that you're going to be constantly fighting and, and rambling with? And right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah certain species are going to lend themselves better than others. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Jeremiah's got a couple of other questions. One is about the ume and uh, asking about, is it collected in Japan? And uh, do you know from what environment they're collected normally? Yeah. Yeah. There, there was some, um, uh, some chatter about them uh, being collected here and there. Um, 
through uh, even old orchards and things like that. But there's also, this is one of the, um, uh, one of the new year's plants, right? Pine. Um, and yeah, bamboo, bamboo and, and umai. And so many people have these three plants uh, that aren't doing bonsai at all. And they just have, you know, a few pots tucked around the side of their front front door. And um, certainly many of these plants uh, have gotten very old and developed shari and people are interested in bonsai, you know, walking down the street and they go and they knock on the door. I mean, I think a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, uh, plants uh, that we see as um uh, as ume in the shows probably were derived from from plants that were just hanging out in tokyo uh-huh. <laughs> yeah these these urban yamadori <laughs> exactly kind of yeah urban's front yard or or a, a container right. right outside their door right um it's important to know that ume is not actually native to japan it's native to china mm-hmm. um, and it, it has some cultural you know significance to to the chinese new year as well Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's not a native plant, so you can't walk around the forests of Japan and right. find ume growing. Uh, right. If you do find one, it's because it you know a bird stole a fruit from a garden and it <laughs> and it got away. <laughs> um, but it, it's not a, a native plant to Japan. I wonder if uh, in a similar vein, maybe we could start something here in the United States about uh, you know people having container grown black pines for Christmas trees, <laughs> and then. Yeah. And then, you know, you could collect people's Christmas tree leftovers, you know, ha- have them grow them year after year, but then kind of people get old, you know, maybe we could, I don't we know. We could get people growing bonsai for us. Right. Exactly. That's what I'm know. saying. I mean, if you have a million black pines growing in the U.S., you're going to have some that are good, you know. So. A little sci-fi. I don't know. <laughs> we'll start working on that. We'll yeah. We'll, okay. that. We'll, we'll put that on the idea. But. Yeah. Okay, one final one from Jeremiah uh, about starting kind of back to the trunk uh, branch question. So when you're starting a trunk with no branches, uh, what angle do you tend to set the primary branches that are coming off of the trunk? And then do you change that angle uh, as you move higher on the trunk? Yeah, that's a good good question. Generally, I would say with deciduous, they have mostly upright branches and there's, there's exceptions to that. But um, mostly upright is where you want to be. Whenever you have a branch that's kind of coming off at a downward angle, that simplifies that that signifies snowpack and it signifies a lot of weight. Um, you can see downward angles in certain species like oak, which have beautiful drop branches, um, but they're kind of an exception. Most deciduous will have mostly upright branches, but a, a little bit of variation is, is also helpful to get. Some naturalness, some some wildness into the tree. So you don't want them all going yeah. up at the exact same angle. What right. do you think, Michael? Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think uh, many very old deciduous trees of many different species um, tend to, if you look at at the angle of the branch coming off the trunk, just within the first uh, little little area there, um, with really old trees, you'll find that the branch angles are all over the place. Some of them are coming down. Some of them are going up. Some of them are going straight out. There's, there, it's all over the map. Um, and that is a, is a strong difference uh, to conifer, uh, which, you know, what Andrew was saying about the, you know, the snow load, that, that's going to bring branches down at kind of the same angle. You see that a lot on, you know, most obviously like spruce or hemlock, all of the, the angles are identical. It's not like we're inventing that when we 
when we wire them down. <laughs> and, and that's actually very accurate. But with a really old tree, um, uh, while Andrew, what Andrew says is totally accurate, is that most, uh, most branches on a deciduous tree, that angle uh, is kind of acute as it rises. Uh, but on a really old tree, it seems to be all over the map. <laughs> and, 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 and to do all of those, it, to, to put all of them on your tree, all angles uh, makes for a, a really antiquated feeling deciduous yeah. tree. And how much do you feel like you think through like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm building a composition of maples and what, like what is the natural habitat of the maple look like, or I'm working with an oak. How do I make it look like an oak or, you know, how much do you, bring Study that into your trees yeah. <laughs> go out and take long walks <laughs> yeah winter time is a great time yeah. to study this yes place. yeah but do you ever do you ever find yourself yeah. or, or see uh you know an uh elm being styled like a maple or do you always try to kind of stick to the elm looking like an elm Oh, yeah, oh, I, I, yeah. I think each artist is different. I know a, a deciduous mm -hmm. artist here mm -hmm. in Portland who just, mm -hmm. just really loves the way the oaks look. So he styles everything to look like an oak. Um, I know people mm -hmm. like myself who, who want things to be um, more appropriate to the species. So a trident looking like a trident one in the wild or a Japanese maple looking like a Japanese maple. Yeah. Um, and then there's people who like really idealized trees. Mm -hmm. um, people... Uh, who who want to wire all the branches? Who want to make that perfect bonsai form, which is mm -hmm. very deeply rooted in, in uh, the aesthetics of, of bonsai. Um, right. So I, I have I have a thought. Map. Yeah, I, I wanted to offer that if if it's a shrub, um, you can make the form almost anything you want it to be. If if it's a tree, um, mm. you you might want to make it look like. Uh, that species. Um, now, as Andrew said, you don't have to. This is, you know, each artist is going to have a different way. But if you're if you're casting about for um, for a, a plan, <laughs> for a direction, um, think about that. Is it shrub or a tree? Okay, great. Um, well, I think that blows through our questions that we received. Uh, any any great. final thoughts about uh, deciduous growing from either of you? Huh. Oh, Andrew? Yeah, it's this time of year, you know, August, September, there's not a lot that we're doing with our deciduous bonsai. So it's it's a good time to to dream about some of these aesthetic things, uh, the way you want your branches to look, uh, what work you're going to do in the fall. Um, it's it's a really good time to dream. But with deciduous bonsai, it tends that we our, our seasons for work tend to be very short. And so we have a lot of times where we're really, really busy, and then we kind of stall out for a few months. Yeah. And yeah. so it's a good time to look at books, mm -hmm. to do studying and to kind of dream what, what work we're going to mm -hmm. do in the fall. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would only add that uh, any involvement with deciduous bonsai is, is sort of like uh, a love affair in, in that um, we need just that much more attention to daily care, which we don't tend to have with conifers. And then the added benefit of, of these seasonal changes, which are like clues uh, as to when to do the work. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, well, there were two questions, uh, just so people know, there were two questions that were, uh, that were bumping off to another episode. Um, and one of them specifically was about watering, which we're, we've, uh, we're, we're working on an episode right now for, about watering and fertilizing and pH adjustment. 
So we're going to bump that off to that episode. Um, so please, if you've got questions about watering or fertilizing, submit those questions to talk at bonsaiwirepodcast.com. And we'll see you around the corner. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you. Take care. Cheers. The music on today's podcast was brought to you by the fine folks at Blue Dot Sessions. Check them out at www.sessions.blue. going to try something new. We solicited questions on a few of our different formats. Um, we submitted questions on a few different... Uh, I'm going to start that again. We asked for questions on a few different... of our for, on a, <laughs> Okay, I may just re- pre-record this. Uh, I'll, I'll try it one more time. <laughs>